text for the sermon is taken from the gospel. And he, that is Jesus, said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Uh, the uh, setting for uh, chapter 7 of Luke's gospel is a road trip, a long journey to Jerusalem uh, that Jesus and his disciples made. Along the way, Jesus moved in and out of Jewish territory, teaching and healing and casting out demons, uh, which is exactly the way his disciples would carry on his ministry after his uh, ascension. In the book of Acts, we have an account of Philip entering a city of Samaria, preaching Christ, healing people, casting out demons. And according to that account, there was great joy in that city because of the work of Philip. Now, it seems to me it's not unreasonable uh, to suppose that some of the Samaritans in those cities recall that only a few hand, uh, uh, only a handful of years back, uh, Jesus himself entered into their cities, preaching the kingdom of God and healing folk and freeing them from the work of the devil. Some of them, in fact, had been healed or freed from demonic possession by Christ himself. Are y'all with me? Okay. Jesus worked so many miracles uh, in his short ministry uh, that St. John puts a disclaimer at the end of his gospel where he says that if all of the miracles, all of the wonders that Jesus had worked were to be recorded, uh, the world could not contain the books that, that those feet were, would require. And yet, when Philip went through Samaria and in the account that we have recorded, not one word is recorded that indicates the people there remembered Jesus Christ. And it was only two or three years after the event. We assume, I do, we assume, uh, I think most of us, that a person who has experienced a healing or some great miracle from Jesus would naturally follow him for the rest of their life. That makes all the sense in the world to me. Uh, I certainly uh, have made that assumption. I've assumed that uh, those who were healed by Jesus, in fact, I've assumed that those who were healed by Jesus would have made, constituted the church in Israel. Uh, after Pentecost and, 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 and also the uh, original church uh, uh, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus healed people, raised them from the dead, cast out demons throughout the land, not only Israel, Samaria, Galilee, and the Decapolis. I would assume they were his forever. I have assumed that, but my assumption is wrong. That's not the case. Uh, it appears that most people this is astonishing to me that most people uh, who, who witnesses Jesus, who witnessed Jesus's miracles, uh, and even those who were first-hand beneficiaries of His grace, in fact, did not end up following Him. Isn't that just kind of astonishing to you? Um, uh, and, and according to John, thousands, maybe. Uh, multiple thousands of people had witnessed his miracles and had been the recipient of his mercy uh, and, and his grace at his very hand. And 
they did not follow him for the rest of their life. Uh, even though I would have assumed they would have done so because of certain faith. I think most of us would say, that's certain faith. I want to say a word or two about certain faith and salvation. I'll, 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 uh, some people would say that certain faith is a contradiction, but it isn't. Uh, there are different levels of faith, uh, and there are different types of certainty. For example, there's mathematical certainty that is just about as pure as certainty gets, correct? And then there's logical certainty, uh, very much like mathematical certainty, and it's, it, it's, it ranks very high uh, there as well. Of course, the most certain statements of all are tautologies. The problem with tautologies is they don't say anything. They don't really give you any information. For example, a tautology would be, if there's an election for the president of the United States this year, then candidate X will either be elected or not elected. Yeah. I mean, that's an example, and that's certain. Uh, however, when a spouse says, I am certain that my wife loves me, or I'm certain that my husband loves me, he or she is not applying mathematical certainty or logical certainty to her affirmation of love, and she certainly isn't, or he isn't declaring a tautology. Uh, they really mean it. Uh, now, some people would say that he or she has, quote, reasons of the heart by which they mean they really don't have any reasons. They have feelings. Uh, and I don't agree with that. Uh, I believe that the spouse, in fact, does have reasons for saying, I am certain that my husband or my wife loves me. And those reasons are complex uh, and, and are, are intertwined with their history together, but they are not so mysterious as to be hidden. No, they're not. Uh, the upshot is that he or she or both, uh, pray God, have an experience of congruity between word and deed in their life together. Uh, and so you, you see what I'm saying? So there's that's a kind of certainty uh, as well that we can count on. So, but, but that's the problem. So let, let me explain this. The reason this is confusing is because people today use the term faith in a very odd way. People today do not mean what the New Testament means by faith. When Wittgenstein wrote, the difficulty is to realize the groundlessness of our believing, he was declaring that our beliefs are all psychological, and if that's the case, then our beliefs say more about us than they say about the things we believe. And that is pretty much received wisdom today. Today, most people would agree with that, whether they acknowledge it or not. Today, most people, I think, believe faith to be something like the reasons of the heart uh, which are feelings and even a leap into the dark. Uh, today, uh, faith and knowledge are thought to be opposite one another, and what I want to say is, no, they're not opposite of one another. Faith is not a leap into the dark when I have no evidence. It is evidence and it's knowledge and it's congruence and information that leads me to have faith. 
Someone once told me that I, uh, I, that I don't know that God exists. I have faith that God exists, and, and I disagree with that. I believe that I do know uh, that God uh, exists. But again, that's using faith in an odd way, uh, and it's an odd way that we accept to be uh, true in, 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 our, in our culture today. The new te- faith is not the opposite of knowledge. The New New Testament faith begins with trust and confidence in what is known. But even that, faith as trust and confidence in what is known, even that is incomplete. And that's what this story, uh, uh, that's what this account is all about today. And that's what I want you to see. And the gospel is going to help us understand this. As Jesus neared Jerusalem, he continued to work his miracles to show mercy, and he called upon people to have faith in God, by which he meant to trust, to love, and to worship God as well as himself. He never rejected worship of himself. Uh, it so happens, uh, it so happened that Jesus and his disciples were about to enter a village when ten lepers cried out to him to have mercy on them. Luke is careful to point out that they stood at a distance. They had to. Uh, lepers were not permitted to approach anyone, and they had, they had to remain outside of the village according to the law. No contact with family. No opportunity to worship God in synagogue. Uh, and they had uh, obviously, this group had obviously heard, as everyone else, that Jesus was a powerful healer and full of mercy and kindness. And they had a very simple request, and they couched it in the most respectable language that acknowledged his authority. They addressed him by his name and begged for mercy. Cries of mercy were commonplace in Jesus' ministry. Keep this in mind, uh, that uh, all of this is done at a distance. That's important. They raised their voice, to get his attention, to ask to be healed of this horrible and despised disease. And Jesus looked at them uh, and told them to go and show themselves to the priest, just as the law of Leviticus required. And as they went their way, they were cleansed of the disease. This is odd, to say the least. All of these men had faith in Jesus Christ. All of them did. Uh, They called him master. Uh, And they acted upon his directions. Look, a leper would not go and show himself to a priest uh, unless he was healed. Uh, But Jesus told them uh, to do that uh, before the healing had occurred. Uh, And his command convinced them that he would heal them. Uh, And if they're healed, then they go to the priest... Uh, and the priest would certify that they were cleansed and allow them to return to their families and to their village and to worship. They believed that Jesus could and would heal them, and so they acted on his command, and the ten of them were, in fact, healed. You see this, right? This is what... So you know... Look, you've read the Bible a lot. You know good and well that nothing is quite straightforward, right? We've got a story, but now it's going to come the twist. And with that twist, we're going to have an epiphany. We're going to have a reversal. The first, and and I want to suggest to you that this reversal is something that, that probably the first hearers of this gospel would have picked up on a lot faster than we do. 
lot of distance between us and so that we don't pick up on this quite as fast. The kind, uh, uh, faith in Jesus, saving faith in Jesus, the kind of faith that makes a person whole, which he doesn't say about the other nine, the kind of faith that makes a person whole and saved is not only confidence that he can and will work miracles. Understand that, first of all. It is not merely confidence that he can work and that he will work a miracle. The faith that Jesus commands, that he commends to his apostles and disciples has the quality of worship to it. And this is what I want you to see. Worship and love and adoration. So he, uh, Luke, Luke says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and then fell on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Well, there's the twist right there. Ten lepers were healed, but only one expressed gratitude and worship for his healing and, in fact, returned to Jesus to give him thanks and praise. The word that Luke uses here is one of his favorites. It's a form of doxa, which is where we get the word doxology, which means to worship, to celebrate, to praise, to honor, to clothe with splendor, uh, to adorn with luster. Uh, and we translate it simply here uh, as giving giving thanks, not really a very satisfying translation. He fell, the, the, the Samaritan fell down at his face, on his face, uh, at his feet, giving him thanks. His actions of turning back and coming to Jesus and falling at his feet, those actions were meant to cover Jesus with splendor, and they do. When where, where before he, the Samaritan, and the other nine uh, could only stand at a distance, Luke's account has him coming right up to Jesus. I want you to see this, uh, uh, this movement in space here, uh, uh, in, in, in the place. Uh, this is another reversal. By coming within reach of Jesus, he showed his confidence in his healing and restoration to, rest, to the rest of human and Jewish society. He, his approach to Jesus also visually shows his state of grace. The space between the former leper and God has dramatically shrunk now. And he appropriately recognizes that. The, sta the space between God and the other nine who were also healed continues to widen and widen as they go on their way. By identifying the one person who returned to give glory to God as a stranger, an outsider, Jesus also identifies at least some of these other nine as Jews. Now, this was and still remains a very hard fact in Jesus' ministry. So difficult, uh, so embarrassing in some ways that John puts the issue right up front in his gospel when he writes, he came unto his own Jewish people and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave you power to become sons of God. This is another reversal. 
The ones who were expected to respond with praise and gratitude and worship were the children of the covenant. But it turns out uh, that it is this schismatic, the one who is far off from the promises of the covenant, who ends up with blessing and holding on to the feet of Jesus. If you look at the text, you really do have the sense he has gotten so close and bowed down his head into the dust and has grabbed hold of the feet uh, of Jesus or the, the hem of his garment. What about the other nine? Uh, and he said unto him, Arise and go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And then Jesus, it seems to me, look at the text, it seems to me like he, he turns to his disciples and he waves in the direction of these other, and he said, were, the, were, were not there ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Well, Jesus didn't ask them that to get information, right? I mean, even, even whether he's son of God or not, all he has to do is look and count. Uh, where, where's their gratitude? Where's their worship? Uh, they were certainly capable of glorifying God and showing gratitude. But Jesus' questions are really a condemnation. He wasn't expecting an answer from his disciples or anyone else. He is rhetorically indicting the nine for not responding to God's grace, for not responding to the best that was before them, namely not their healing, but the fact that this man was able to heal him who is God. This is what I want you to see. This is, a, this is the last paragraph. Okay. What I want you to see is that miracles do not certify the kind of faith Jesus says will make us whole. Now listen, I believe in miracles. I believe that God does work miracles. I've seen healings before. Most of you have uh, that are amazing to me that, that lead me to believe that God has intervened in a person's life and has worked a miracle. I believe, I believe that that happens. But miracles... But miracles do not make people into faithful Christians. This is what I want you to see. You need to because it's constantly a nagging doubt with most of us, and you need to put that doubt asleep. Miracles do not make people faithful Christians. Base, base your faith on, uh, do, do not base your faith on receiving a miracle. Base your faith on Jesus on his life, his death, his resurrection, his love for you. Trust him. Count your blessings. Honestly, count your blessings. Look at how good God has been to you in your life. Recall the providential moments in your life when God has intervened and be grateful. Be grateful. Remember God's past forgivenesses. Remember his tender mercy when you expected chastisement you received his love. Be thankful and express your gratitude to God in worship. Let your actions, let your actions cover Jesus with splendor. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, praising him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.